Welcome to Silverfin Capital's FinSights podcast, hosted by Rich Piznoy, co-founder and principal of Silverfin Capital, lending expert, residential and commercial property owner, and sales and networking professional. This podcast is all about bringing people together for conversations exploring current trends, insights, and innovations around real estate, finance, and life. Hey, everybody. Welcome back for our latest episode of the Silverfin Capital's FinSights podcast. I'm your host, Rich Piznoy. Today, we're discussing something that just too many people go through, the legal dissolution of marriage by a court, better known as divorce. There are so many reasons why people get divorced or separated today, and they can range from infidelity to just simply not being happy in your marriage any longer. There's the emotional side. There's the financial side of things. So let's face it. It's probably going to be difficult. Understanding what to look out for prior to, during, and after a divorce can also be overwhelming. So splitting finances and what follows, such as alimony and child supports, are reasons why one would need an excellent divorce attorney, especially one with financial expertise. Today, we're lucky enough to have Dana Stutman, a founding partner of Stutman, Stutman, and Liechtenstein, an acclaimed law firm dedicated to the practice of matrimonial and family law. Dana is not only a terrific person, she's a leading matrimonial attorney, CPA, and a steadfast advocate for her clients. Welcome to the FinSights Podcast, Dana. How are you doing today? Hi, thank you for having me. Glad to hear that you're well. Can you tell us a little bit more about you and SSL? As you said, I'm a divorce attorney. I've been practicing matrimonial law for 25, almost 30 years. Before going to law school, I practiced as an accountant. I was CPA. I worked for Deloitte, Haskins, and Sells. I was there for the merger with Touche Ross. Wow. I've clerked for a few judges, and I've been in the thick of it. I love that. How do you feel working with your husband? Oh, yeah. One of my partners is my husband. We love working together. People don't understand it. They think it's crazy. (laughs) We don't work on the same cases necessarily, but being in the same office space, since we like each other so much, it's nice. I get to see him instead of having to play phone tag or text. I mean, that's great. That's okay. You know, if you don't want to see each other, just just close your door. (laughs) Right. (laughs) When I thought about this podcast and what to talk about, and when divorce kind of came into my head, it was really after talking to a number of people that I knew, unfortunately, going through a divorce or discussing it. I was thinking to myself, if I were the person getting ready to file for divorce or in that discussion, who would be the first person that I should call? Would I reach out to an attorney, a CPA, uh, a financial advisor if I had one? Uh, With you, actually, we get them all, which is so great. It's fantastic. So Dana, uh, l- let's talk. What happens if uh, someone comes home and and there's a suitcase by the front door with their stuff or it's on the curb you know, besides the hotel? Who do you call? What's the first step? Who's the first person you reach out to? If their stuff's outside the door or on the curb, I would suggest as a lawyer that you should probably call the police to make a record of it. But Aside from that, I don't think that was your point. You'd want to call a divorce lawyer. Most people end up calling a friend that one can house them. But also, most people call friends that they know have recently been through divorce. That is usually the first step they take because hiring a divorce lawyer, and I just wrote a blog about this, it should be coming out soon, is a very difficult task. 
how do you find a divorce lawyer? A lot of people go to their friends, which frankly, I don't necessarily suggest is a good idea because everyone's situation is different. I would go to a lawyer that you know or that you work with and trust because lawyers know who the better lawyers are. Well, you hope anyway. To your point, you know, you, you sit there and you say, who do you reach out to? You, you reach out to someone you feel comfortable talking to. Uh, you know, how do you find an attorney? It's, it's asking others and someone pointing you to a direction and meeting with them as well. I can definitely follow uh, where you're going with it. I, I guess now you find an attorney, you're sitting down, going through the story or the situation. How far into the discussion or once, I'd say once you've been retained, are you discussing finances? I think a lot of times people want to talk about finances and money, but they end up talking about children, housing, or just the emotional side of things. He's terrible. She's terrible. We were once in love. Now I can't stand him or her. It can get all over the place. At what point do you say, let's take a deep breath, move the emotion to the side just for a second, and let's concentrate on finances? Well, finances come up pretty early in the conversation. Actually, I mean, there are three aspects of divorce that I parse it into. One is, of course, custody if they're young children or minor children, I should say. Two are assets and liabilities that need to be divided. And three is support, whether it's for a child or for a spouse. So two thirds of that is money. And custody usually can be worked out fairly easily. And if it can't, it's a bigger custody case than it is finances. So finances really are the first part of our discussion. I'm I'm glad to hear that that it's discussed in the beginning. I, I think it's important for everybody to get their fair share. I mean, uh, but at least in my opinion, uh, you know, people talk about this is expensive, that is expensive, I can afford this, I can't afford that. Obviously, they need to know a little bit about what they can afford or can't afford. Do you discuss things like financial audits, audits, is this something that you guys do or is it something maybe that you source out? Well, we don't call them audits. There's three parts of a case. The beginning and the end are easy. Starting a divorce action and having an agreement or a trial if you have to is the end of it. But in the middle, what you do is what we call a discovery. And I think your use of the word audit really, it's an investigation of the finances. Yeah, that's what I mean, yeah. So we spend most of the time the reason divorces take so long is in part obtaining that information. You want to go back several years to see the patterns of not only income, but spending patterns and expenses and trying to determine future expenses that will be coming up. Because obviously, if they're children, their needs change over time and future expenses in terms of if there's one parent that worked and one parent that didn't or did but stopped working for a period of time, are they going to be able to find employment again? And how much do we believe they can make? There are a lot of issues at play. Oh, absolutely. It's funny. I wasn't thinking it to myself that every uh, question that we have today was going to be specific, et cetera. Because to your point, and you said this earlier, because everybody is different and every situation is different. Uh, you mentioned things like, are there children? Is there support for the children? You know, once everything gets worked out with custody, et cetera, yeah, you, you had mentioned that then it's time to work out everything concerning financing. Uh, it made me think for a second, you know, that when someone pays child support, if I'm not mistaken, it goes to the other parent to kind of you know, use as they see fit. You know, hopefully it goes to the child uh, or children. I'm curious, is there 
any thought to how that can be more direct to the child, maybe through an advocate or or something like that? It's an interesting question, and it's not one that we haven't discussed in our firm, frankly. There are a few cases out there, and very few, that touch on the question, should there be an accounting of what that money was spent on? I mean, that's a tedious task. And whether or not it was spent on a child directly or indirectly by providing shelter or something that's good for a parent because the parent needs support for the children. I mean, I don't think that's ever going to happen, frankly. <laughs> I, I, I get it. Uh, you know, I bought lunch for the kid and I have to put uh, that down on the list. I, I understand what you mean and that it, that it's it's difficult. I just think about it in a, maybe in a, a more analytical way. I, I sit here and I say someone's you know, someone's building a house and they want to take out a, a construction loan. Um, there's an intermediary that pays the vendor and so on and so forth. I know that it's nowhere near as close to the same thing, but sometimes you go that through that in your head, at least in my mind, why not? Because you want to make sure the child's being taken care of. And and that's the most important thing. At least that's what, what I believe. Most people will tell you that the amount of child support that they receive doesn't cover all of the expenses no. anyway. Right. <laughs> I can understand that. Uh, so understanding assets and debts, uh, for example, maybe I have you put on uh, both your hats, your attorney and your CPA hats. Um, first, talk about debts. You know, in your marriage, there are debts and assets. And I, and I don't know if it changes with different states because different states have different rules. Um, but you have things like IRAs and there are penalties or significant penalties in these IRAs. Is it something that can be discussed for a, a future date? Is it somehow looked at, well, maybe we can work some sort of split from a different account to compensate for a retirement account? Is that something looked at? Actually, retirement accounts and pensions and things like that have some special rules that allow the transfer of those monies or securities that they're invested without being taxed. Ah, that's great. So that problem has been addressed and was addressed a long time ago to provide for the transfers as a outcome of a separation agreement or divorce. It's amazing that there are so many, I, I hate to say it like this, and I think everybody knows it at this point, so many people have gone through divorce. I, I read somewhere that 40% of the population is is married. Um, I mean, it doesn't mean that, that, that um, they're all divorced or, or 60% are divorced. It just means that 60% are now called single, if you will, something like that, which is pretty crazy to think, especially when you grew up and married was like, uh, you know, this is a done deal. It was almost taboo to get divorced. I know times have changed and it doesn't mean it's right or wrong. It's just kind of, it is what it is. Yeah. I think divorce has become a lot more accepted probably since we were young. I would agree with that. Uh, you mentioned that there are rules now for IRA and uh, for IRAs and a certain types of assets or other retirement accounts. What about like uh, stock options? So stock options have a lot of different layers to them. Usually the big issue with a stock option is that someone with a stock option usually obtains a stock option as compensation at a company where they're working. And the stock option usually vests over a period of three or four years also. So they may have been awarded the stock options, but they might not own all of them outright yet. But they were awarded them while they were working during the marriage. So there's a calculation that 
is applied in New York. I only do New York law, so I cannot speak to the other states that you referred to that earlier. But in New York, we have an equation where the life of the vesting, let's say it's four years, is the denominator. The numerator is the life of the start of the vesting, which was during the marriage, to the date that you file for divorce, which is the end of the marriage. You take that, and that's what we call the marital portion, and then you divide that usually in half. I uh, I mean, that, that makes sense because essentially just from a time standpoint, when someone's married to someone else, uh, that they're entitled to these options at some point. I, I would I think that there's a limit to what they essentially can get. It's amazing what happens when we talk about all the different nuances that come into play from a, the financial side of things. And the reason why I, I asked that question about stock options is that, uh, you know, to me, it's 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 a little unique. It's not something that everybody has. It's kind of interesting that there's already a rule in place for the stock options right now. I do love the fact that you can think about that right off the top of your head. It's great. I mean, there are are things that I know in my business, uh, things like alimony and child support. Are they taxed? Are they not taxed? I know that child support is not taxed. uh, And if I'm not mistaken, uh, alimony is considered income. Used to be. No longer. I forget the name of the tax change in about 2000 or 2001, did away with the taxability of alimony. So it's no longer taxable. It's also no longer deductible. It's not a problem because when you're negotiating, you just adjust it. Right. There, there's a, a formula that is being used to calculate it. You know, it's interesting from a, a timing standpoint or or length of time. Is there a, a, a general idea of how long? And I know this is a tough question, but how long a divorce can take? And the reason why I ask that is I have colleagues, I have friends that have gone through divorce and sometimes it's taking forever and sometimes it's been really super fast. I'm not talking about mediation. I'm talking about with legal, with attorneys, real cat scratching divorces that have been quick. Uh, and I think people can be concerned from a financial standpoint about the costs involved in the divorce. If if someone were to say to you, Dana, how long is this going to take? I hate him. I hate her. We don't have any children. I just want them out of my life. Well, if there are no children, I can guarantee it'll take less time than if there were. When you say happens real quick, I mean, well, I guess I'll give you an example. Uh, person A that I know <laughs> had their stuff at the at the front door. <laughs> Uh, and basically, I would say in, in a couple of months, and these people have children, you know, custody was done, uh, and they're just about finished going through the asset litigation or discovery was quick. And, and I think ultimately, they wanted to move on as fast as humanly possible to get it done. I don't think there was much in the, uh, you know, you said I can have the house, I want the car, you want the dog, I want the cat. I think it was kind of let's literally rip the house in half and get going. I mean, it was pretty quick. And I would say it was probably done in under six months. That is fast. Yeah. I mean, it was it was really fast. Uh, what do you think is the holdup? I mean, and to be fair, I, I don't mean all the back and forth. You know, we all, you know, we listen, we all have wants and needs. But I mean, is it the courts? Is it the couple, the attorney, uh, all the above? And just more of a general idea. I'm, I'm not saying anybody specifically at fault. It's just that certain things take time when looking at things like this. And, you know, I, it's hard to figure out what takes so long. What, do, what are your thoughts? There's a lot of reasons. It's a great question. Why is this taking so long? Usually it's because psychologically one person isn't ready to let go. But coupled with that is often the case, but you can't say, no, I'm not getting divorced because there's no fault divorce now. So 
the time it takes to get into court, the decision it takes to go to court and spend that money and be subjected to the court system, which is not nothing. Finding attorneys and attorneys have more than one client. It's not about necessarily we can write a negotiate, write a proposal and send it to the other side. It's we have to meet. We have to put the proposal together. You have to review it, make sure you like it. We have to discuss it again. And even though that might take five or 10 hours in total, it could take weeks to find the time to put the work in and to make the meetings happen. And that cycle happens over and over again with coordinating with opposing counsel and having them coordinate with their client. And then you go through this cycle several times and trying to negotiate before you go to court. When you go to court, you add the court's calendar. And the courts are in New York, in Manhattan, where I practice predominantly. I practice in Nassau and Suffolk and Westchester, plenty of other places. But the courts have four or 500 cases. I have applications in court right now, and they've not been decided. And my clients are sitting in limbo, wondering what their budget's going to be on the interim basis until the divorce is over, because they need a budget. They need some support, some temporary support during the pendency of the action. The last thing that will drag things on is you do need the information, as we discussed before, to figure out what exists, what their value is, what the income was, what the pattern of spending was in the past and what might happen in the future, and obtaining that information. Sometimes you need to go to the banks or the financial institutions, and they have no reason to put that at the top of their list. Gee, there's only a couple of reasons. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's a problem. Uh, you had mentioned something. Actually, uh, you mentioned many things when you, when you were talking. I, I think you stated in, in New York there was something called uh, no-fault divorce. Uh, I guess so if if, if uh, one party or if someone's trying to hold it up, you know, can you, can you clarify exactly what that means? Well, there may be no fault divorce, but there are ancillary issues that need to be addressed in order to be awarded a divorce. So you can't prevent a divorce from happening, but you can certainly stall by making it difficult to take depositions or to obtain what we call discovery, but meaningful documents. Has there ever been a time where a court says, hey, mister, let's go. Because the courts are so inundated, they're not as interested in moving it quickly. Well, I wouldn't say they're not interested, but they're full up. Yeah, I, I guess that makes sense. The other thing that you mentioned, a plan. Do you guys put anyone in touch with, or do you have a discussion with a client about adjusting lifestyles or some sort of financial plan? I mean, basically saying, this is what you have as a budget. And again, I know that you're representing them from a legal side and a divorce matter, but is it something else that you guys discuss? No, I think it's very important for them to figure out what is possible given the law. What exists? Is there a house? Is there a pension? Are there brokerage accounts? Are there other assets? What is there? And then realistically, based on the law and what type of support, a range of support that may be in the offing, what does that mean for their future? And I think that we talked about how do you drag your feet? And one of the things I said is some people aren't just ready to get divorced, but facing those issues causes an enormous amount of anxiety. Oh, and no. nobody is ready to say, okay, I'll live on less. 
I always say it's easy to go up in lifestyle. It's very hard to go down. That is true. It's it's very difficult. Uh, now the realization occurs that, wait a second, you have separate residences, separate bills, separate this, separate that, and then you can get into debt. What um, what happens when debts, and maybe it's the same as assets, but what happens when debts uh, are in one person's name? Does it matter when that debt was originally taken out? Or, you know, Sometimes there's student loans, et cetera. Well, it depends on a lot, but the title in which something is held in New York is not a factor. So let's say you have a house that's owned by one person and the mortgage is held by one person. It, it could still be marital property, depending on what funds were used to purchase the house, if they were earned during the marriage. But for debt, if you have student debt that you had prior to the marriage and you still haven't paid it off, it's your debt. stays separate. There are two concepts in matrimonial law, separate property and marital property. And marital property is just about everything that separate property isn't. And separate property is about three things in general. I'm being very general. It's property someone owned before they were married and kept separate. It's inheritances that they received solely that they kept separate and gifts they receive from someone other than their spouse that they kept separate. You know, I, I see a lot of this in my business. People have separate accounts, whether it's from gifts, inheritance, et cetera. You know, it's funny, you know, what, what we see a lot of is we want to buy our spouse out of the house loans. It's kind of a rhyme spouse out of the house. <laughs> Here we get that a lot. The only thing that happens is that, you know, income can take a hit depending on the situation. And that person may no longer qualify to buy the other a person out of the house. So for us, it happens late though. And uh, it's already been discussed and so-and-so is going to buy me out and I'm going to get the cash that I want or need. And all of a sudden they have to sell because the situation wasn't vetted. Meaning when I say vetted, no one found out if they can afford it or qualify based on the new terms, you know, after divorce. Um, and, and, you know, it leads into like regarding spending is, is so if I'm getting divorced, is there something in place that, can prevent someone from going out and spending thousands of dollars, you know, on a credit card. You, you know what I mean? Oh, it's a problem. Taking someone, removing someone's ability to spend in the way they did during the marriage and buy living expenses is a big, yeah. you can't just do that. On the other hand, if someone, and this happens a lot, a lot of what happens when people get divorced is one person says, I just need to feel good. I don't think it's necessarily on purpose trying to, rev things up. Sure. I just need to feel good. And they go on a shopping spree to try and feed their emotion. And it comes up quite a lot. Then you have a reason to at least place a limit on a credit card I see. or say, I need to take it away and I'm going to give you an allowance instead. Or you have to go to the court and have the court decide, which will take forever and is costly because the lawyers have to draw up papers and appear. But it happens quite a lot in that order. It's not an easy thing. That's why people need someone like yourself to help. This is what it comes down to. You want to be able to protect yourself and work with somebody that knows all of this stuff. That's why, you know, I, I said it earlier that you're kind of the, the best of both worlds because of your legal and financial background. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Uh, did you see any more or less divorce during COVID? There was a bit of a drought in the very beginning of COVID because people didn't know what to do. But then there was quite a spike in divorces. <laughs> it's like everybody bought a dog. Now everyone got a divorce. Well, 
it's hard to live with people when you you were used. To, I mean, some marriages work because one of the spouses is traveling a lot and it gives the other spouse breathing room and they've gotten used to this system where they're not together all the time and that works for them. I mean, everybody has a different kind of relationship. And when you're stuck at home together with kids and a lot of stress, it makes for an unhappy marriage. I agree. You know, being stuck at home with the kids and and becoming their teacher as well also, you know, adds to the stress. Um, did anything ever have anything crazy ever happen? Let's say you're in a meeting with another attorney, you know, their client, your client, any any chaos, you know, not that you have to get into it if you don't want to, but any sort of nutty, crazy things happen in your 25 years. <laughs> I have a lot of crazy things. I don't think I'm at liberty to share. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. It's very funny. So I know that I like I deal with a lot of people on a daily basis that go through the stress of buying a home or a commercial property, and that can be overwhelming. You know, to me, not that it holds a candle to the stress that someone has when they go through a divorce. And the reason I bring that up is that as their counsel, my guess is that you know you take on some of that stress. You feel for your client. You know, I know I feel that way. You know, you get to know them, you get to like them, you get to care for them. So when you deal with all that stress and it comes like a wave, what do you do? How do you handle it? How do you get rid of it? How do you relieve it? Well, I usually end up yelling at someone. <laughs> but no, I mean clients, people who come into our offices are emotional and they're trying to get rid of their bad feelings constantly. Sometimes it's because they do it by being very intense in their conversations. Sometimes they do it by being unpleasant. And sometimes they do it by just keeping you on the phone. And my most often uttered line is, your psychiatrist probably costs less than I do per hour. <laughs> That's funny. You know, when I talk to a client, I tell them I'm going to be their therapist for the next couple of months. <laughs> yeah, Therapy... So is important. And I hand a list of therapists to people who come in. Well, going through a divorce is a crisis. I mean, it's a traumatic experience. For everybody involved. You know, people forget that it's not just the spouses, it's the children and the families. And it's emotional for everyone and weighs heavily on everyone. Just another reason why, you know, in my opinion, that as long as the children are being taken care of and everybody gets a fair share, maybe it eases things uh, a little bit. You know, it's interesting that as, as like years go by, you watch a lot of divorces, uh, you see the former couple may actually become friends again, especially when there are kids involved because they're going to always be involved. I guess finally, if I had a question for you, is there anything in particular from a financial standpoint other than the general, if you were thinking about getting divorced or beginning the process, it may be important to look at X instead of Y. It's only tough because it depends on the facts of that situation. There's yeah. so many different things. What's important to one person is not important to another. Yeah. But I do think that understanding your finances, there are too many couples where one person runs the financial side of the household and the other person relies on that. And that's fine. And it's trust. It can be very good. I mean, there are cases where it's done intentionally, but I think it's really important for a person to get to know and understand the income that comes in, how money is spent, whether money has been saved, and what the future really looks like. What's it going to cost to live on your own? 
if there are children, what would their needs be while they're home before they go off on their own to college or otherwise? But the finances, understanding the finances is critical. I think that's such a great point. I, I can equate it you know, to my business. We see tons and tons and tons of couples that say, oh, my wife handles that. My husband handles that. This one handles that. Literally, a person can rob them blind because they just don't know about the the finances. Uh, it's a great point. It's great advice. You know, that's that's fantastic. Um, ultimately, Dana, I think this is the perfect way to end. Uh, you're awesome. I didn't realize that I I, I didn't, I've known you for just about 15 years, and this was such a treat for me because it allowed me to get to know you even better. Uh, let's hope I don't have to call you for a different reason, but. Uh, uh, thank you again. I'm so impressed about what I know about you, what I've read about you and your firm. Again, thanks for coming on and letting us get to know you better. Uh, love to the kids and the family. This was so much fun. Thanks again. Right back at you. But we also want to thank the listeners, the viewers. Uh, we do hope everybody enjoyed the conversation. If you did, you know, please feel free to, to share us uh, the podcast on, on social media. Uh, we'd love to hear some feedback, some ideas, some guests who you think might be good uh, in the future. Uh, and you can reach out, out to us at uh, finsights at silverfincapital.com. Thank you so much, everybody.